So, several months back, I want to say December of 2020, I had the opportunity to start working in, well, in a mastermind I was a part of, we had a a small group that started meeting up on Fridays, and we continued to do so for about probably the next three or four months, I'd say. Um, It was a really impactful group. I've since splintered off and worked with several people uh, in that group um, in greater capacities, and you know, anyone who is in this game of entrepreneurship or business leadership, whatever the case would be, uh, it's a, it's a lonely game <laughs> because so few people actually truly um, understand what challenges you're facing. Um, pretty much, actually, nobody knows exactly what it is that you're facing, and 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 even few, but 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 only a few people actually understand that that is not crazy that's actually part of the game and today's guest was one of the most impactful and influential people from those Friday calls that began for me in December of last year Um, you know there's something to be said about somebody who not only gives advice but actually drills down to the fundamental question, like asks fundamental questions to understand the situation first. It's very easy to just give advice. Anybody can give advice. Everybody's got an opinion. But there's another thing to actually care if that advice, if that outcome is actually going to help somebody get a result. And every once in a while, you come across somebody somebody like that and that person's a gem. Uh, our guest today is Stephen Bates. I've watched Stephen do this so many times on calls with us. I've I've creeped on so many of his live calls he's done with several of uh, uh, friends of mine who have done. Uh, Stephen is Stephen's a remarkably talented entrepreneur um, uh, and business professional. Um, through his company, uh, Certain Change, he works with many different entrepreneurs and many different organizations of all different size sizes. Really get more efficient, scale, and and just be happier. Like actually get so much more results. I think one of the things you're going to find in this interview with uh, Stephen today is how foundational and breathtaking, breathtakingly simple, um, much of what he, much of what he discusses is, and how we often try to overcomplicate things like leadership, um, learning, um, and and buzzwords too. I mean, Stephen really goes; he takes out the term outside of the box. He talks about limited limited beliefs. Um, oh, you guys are really gonna love. You're in for you're in for a treat. You're going to love this episode. My regards to Stephen for joining us. Uh, he joined us from across the pond in the London, greater London area uh, on this uh, Zoom interview. And I really wish, uh, I, I hope that you all uh, have a chance to, to, to listen to this in full. And this is one that you may want to have a pen and paper with. Uh, all right, that's all I have. All right, so Stephen Bates, uh, entrepreneur, business leader, so many different things I can go on. Check out his website, uh, certainchange.co.uk, if you'd like to get more information on his business. Without further ado, let's roll the intro and cue up our guest today, Mr. Stephen Bates. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. What's up, everyone? Welcome in to another episode 
of the Get After Podcast. I'm thrilled. I'm joined on a Saturday morning here by Mr. Stephen Bates. He's joining us from across the pond. We were able to link up. Uh, he's over in uh, the greater London area, and I'm coming to you, obviously, from Nashville, Tennessee. Stephen, we just had a chance to hear your introduction. It, it doesn't, it probably just, it, it doesn't do justice in terms of uh, just how many times you've come into my life the last few months. I can think back to, uh, actually, probably the first time we were on a call was in December um, when we linked up in that mastermind. You're always dropping such tangible um I hesitate to call it advice because you ask questions, you get pundit, you want to make sure that you're you're really giving guided um, responses to 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 whom it is that you're helping. I can tell that you care, you know your stuff, and I was, I was stoked that you, you you volunteered some time to take uh, take take some time here for our audience today. So, Stephen, appreciate you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I didn't really have anything else better to do, so uh, you know, perfect timing, really. <laughs> Now, you just said you went shopping for the first time in a while. I went shopping for the first time in ages, and it was a bit of a shock, you know. It was almost like, uh, wow, after, you know, coming out of lockdown, it's doing something majorly eventful in my life, but it was just shopping. You, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, oh, we'll, we'll go on to that in a minute. You know, can, can, Stephen, for our audience, do you mind giving maybe a 90 second or so kind of elevator speech, a little bit around, obviously we introduced you, but. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got to where you're at today with what, what it is that you do, uh, the team that you lead, the business that you have, and really what you're, let's just kind of catch people up a little bit if they, if they're, this is the first time listening to Stephen Bates. You want me to do that in 90 seconds? Wow. 90 <laughs> to 900. We could take 90 to 900. Okay. Um, okay. I, I, I actually, one of the best things to do is, is talk about uh, our origin story of um, where I got into what I got into. And that was going back, crikey, 20, mm, as we go, 27 years or something like that. I started my first business. No, that's not true. I started my first um, self-employed job because I didn't have a business, but I thought I did, but I had a self-employed job. And there's a big difference. And a lot of solopreneurs get into this. But I came out of work because I studied to be a physiotherapist or a physical therapist, something like that you call them, I think, in the, in the, in the U.S., so I got my, uh, you know, I started my first business. I earned more money uh, in one afternoon in that week than I did working in my business in the, the company who employed me because I'd stepped down from being a manager and all the rest of it. And I loved it. But I, I noticed something really strange when I was working on people, working on their bodies. I spent years learning how to do that. And I noticed something that I didn't have the answer for. My training hadn't um provided me with the answers for didn't even tell me it was a problem which was that and I don't know if you've done this but when I was talking to people they're in real physical pain trying to help them out sprained ankles headaches shoulders all sorts of different problems with their body I would work on them with the techniques I'd learned but also gave them advice you know nowadays it'd be called coaching but I gave them some coaching. I gave them some advice. Basically, stop sitting in front of your computer for eight hours a day. Get up, move around, do a few stretches. Stop doing whatever they're doing that's hurting them. With the basic premise of, if you can help yourself in between my sessions, you'll get better faster. It'll cost you less money. You get back to work. You'll be able to pick up your kids. You can have a better life. So if you think about it, if you're in real acute physical pain to the point where you have to go and pay somebody money, take time off work, you think you'd be pretty motivated, wouldn't you? But what I noticed was that about 40%, and it's a number I've seen over the last 20 years, 
But 40% of people, when I ask them, have you done the exercises or took my advice, 40% of people went, uh, well, I was a bit busy or, yeah, I did it a little bit. Oh, my favourite favorite answer was, uh, and they didn't have an answer. And it got me thinking, if we don't do the things that are good for us and we know are good for us, when acute physical pain, when and where else do we do the same thing? When do we get in our own way, you know, in other areas of our life? And the answer is everywhere. So I then when you know, when it really hit me, this is a real phenomenon. This is, this is, this is something that's quite normal. And I thought, what's going on? And that, even though I just spent years learning how to do the physical body and I carried on with that business for quite a few years, my brain switched in completely different direction. I wanted to answer that question. Why do we get in our own way? Why do we stop ourselves from doing what we do? So that's what my company Certain Change is really about. It's about helping people who get in their own way. They know they are, but for some reason they don't stop. They keep doing the same stuff. So in, an, in a nutshell, have you got an argument inside your head that... Um, you know you should be doing something, you know you should be capable of something, you know you should be getting on with charging the right sort of money, starting a business, asking that person out, um, whatever it is, but there's a voice inside your head that goes, no, can't do that. And you do something completely opposite a lot of the time. So that's my fascination. And that really has been you know, my life's work for the last 20 plus years. And... Um, that's what we do. We help people to get in their own way. And then I like specializing with entrepreneurs, but I've worked in pretty much every niche that you can think of over the last 20 years testing it. And it's a pattern. It's a process. So it's solvable, but it was just intriguing back then. Does, so does that give you that potted history enough? I think or I, I start when I was five. <laughs> no, I think we could work with it. Was it uh, um, just a question on this? You, you, you mentioned I've, I've seen you outline before your um, what you call I believe you call it the entrepreneur superhighway. Yeah. About, do you want to go into that? Because does it start with solopreneur? Or is it self-employed? What, what is it? How do you walk you through? Because it's the four basis. I, I, I think it's brilliant how you lay it out. Because I think many of us who are who are in business for ourselves, especially if they're scaling anything that's yeah you know, started almost as a freelancing project that's that's kind of where that's kind of where i think a lot of this starts yeah so I, I i came up with a bit of a model um called the entrepreneur superhighway and it's just basically taking people through the stages of being a business owner mm -hmm. so there's five stages and most of us start as a worker mm -hmm. and by that i mean you, you go to you go and get your first job you're told what to do you have very little control of your time. You have no control of your money. You're basically told this is what you're worth. And that's a massive problem, by the way, to entrepreneurs later on when they have to price themselves. Because yeah. people who are, if you've never priced yourself before, because the whole of your life you've been told this is your hourly rate or this is your salary or, or even worse, when you've been told this is you're no good at something, you're not smart enough, you're not clever enough. And that really makes people have a hard time uh, pricing themselves but that's a that's a whole podcast in itself uh, so most people start as workers but there's there's two things that entrepreneurs are really interested in the first one is money 
that's the first evidence procedure that you are being successful. That's what most people think of. What, how much money am I bringing in, in my company? But actually, the second one is the more important one. Do you know what the second one is? You've got an idea? Are you going to say something like fulfillment, actually enjoying your work or no? Close. It's actually oh. something more. It's actually control of time. Control of your time because, and this is what I take through the Entrepreneur Superhighway. So when you're a worker on stage one, you have almost zero control of your time and zero control of how much money you earn because you have to work extra hours to get extra money if somebody is willing to pay you in your job or you just have to work extra hours because the job's busy and you, you, you feel obligated to do it and a lot of workers are stuck there. So people with entrepreneurial mindsets say, I hate this. I want to work for myself. I want to create my own company. So this is what I did um, back when I was 26, started my first business. And I created a job as a worker. I didn't create a business because later on in the Entrepreneur Superhighway, I, um, I realized that, well, I couldn't actually step out of the business. So even though it was my business, I couldn't step out because I was having to get paid for the amount of clients I saw. But this was such an upgrade from someone telling me how much I earned and the hours to keep. I went from employed to self-employed, but I woke up later and went, I'm still in a job, but it's just one I've created where I don't get any sick pay, I don't get any benefits or anything else because it's I created my own job, but it was a lot better than where I was before. Is this making sense? Yeah, so when you are um, a solopreneur, you control more of your income and your time. So that's, that's step three, There's, that's number three. So what people want to do is they want to go from being a worker and they start their business to the third section, which is the th uh, number three, which is being a solopreneur. So as a solopreneur, and I missed out number two deliberately, I'll come back to that. As a, as a solopreneur, you should be able to increase the money that you're earning and have some more control of your time because you choose when you work and when you don't. And you can leverage your time a little bit using systems and processes to help you do that. And that's what I did when I first started my job, but I was still working as a solopreneur. Now, number two is the bit where you don't want to be, which is a entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs are putting all the hours in, but they never make the money. And you'll often see them bouncing from one idea to the next idea to the next idea. And often you see them getting caught up in MLM schemes and things like that and trying to make something work. But for some reason, what they're doing doesn't work. And then they stay at number two as a entrepreneur where they have less money than they did as a worker, have to go back to being a worker and they spend more and more time, but not getting the results. So I'm sure you've seen that quite a lot. Do you think, uh, how often do you think, just to, just to sidebar in this, how often do you think people, do you have to go through that phase to I'll get to where you want? Yeah, do you, because do, do you feel no. like, a, no, okay, yeah, sure. No, you sure. don't, but it happens a lot. And that's usually because people either don't believe in themselves or they won't yeah, invest let, in skills. Let, let me rephrase that. If you find yourself in that phase, is it a death sentence to you potentially taking over your business? Uh, can be because entrepreneurs often don't want to shift their thinking. What mm -hmm. they often do is they shift the latest 
thing they're doing. They shift businesses and you see them business on niche hopping again and again and again. So it's diagnosing what's going wrong within the business, but often um, serial entrepreneurs just move from one, one new idea to the next idea to the next idea. And they, and they're very frustrated um, because of that. That makes sense. That makes sense. So then solopreneurs, when you, you, you were actually established in your, can you define that? Go, go, go on. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So solopreneur is like I was with my first business. And when I started my training company, well, I didn't start it completely solo, but um, you have to be the one making the money still like a worker, but you're choosing your time. Remember I said, it's about money and time. Ultimately, all the sort, all the really successful entrepreneurs I've worked with, their biggest motivation is saying, I achieved this, I did this. I had an idea, I made it happen. By my force of will and my hard work and my intelligence and my ability to, I made it happen. That's that's what most that's what most entrepreneurs really it's all about. But what you what you usually do to measure that is usually in money. And then when you've got the money, this is where the solopreneur thing pops in is that as a solopreneur you run out of time you cannot leverage your time anymore because you've literally run out of hours so a lot of solopreneurs they end up doing all the jobs in the company as a solopreneur so they act as being the innovator being the manager and being the worker because there's three parts to any company or any job or any team you have to be an innovator a creator of the company you have to be a manager controlling the systems the process making sure you're recording stuff looking after your clients fulfillment tax all that stuff organization in other words and then who's doing the actual work so that's a whole other aspect of making sure that you um are, how you're successful because there's no there's no one person that actually likes doing all three you might be capable of doing all three but you can't no one likes doing all three is there's one that everyone says, oh, that's the one I like the least. I call it my, my genius so model. Okay. So solopreneur on their own, but no matter how successful they are, there's a point where they run out of time. So they can't control their time. So what often they do is they get trapped because well, um, one of the biggest things about solopreneurs is if they've got to the point of saying, I'm going to start my own business, they have to say, I'm, I believe in myself enough to start my own business. You need that belief in yourself. And sometimes the, you know, entrepreneurs get criticized for having too big an ego and all the rest of it. That's nonsense. You need, you need the entrepreneur ego and belief in yourself to take the risk to start your own business, to say, I can do this better than being employed. So it's absolutely essential to have that. So anybody who feels criticized by people and you're stupid for not being in a job, but you know you want to be the leader of your own company, or at least your own destiny, being a solopreneur, go for it. Because if that's how you feel, that's who you are. So you've got to be a person who says, I'm going to make this happen. But that also becomes a trap. Now, I don't know if you're old enough. Do you remember the uh, James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, the one with the white car that goes underwater? Oh, you're going to not like me. I do not. Yeah, 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 I do no. not. I'm, I'm way older than you. So there's a song in that, and I'm, and I'm not going to sing it, but I will sing it a little bit. Um, and the song is, 
nobody does it better yeah and basically that's that's the entrepreneur trap because if you said i'm going to do this i believe in myself enough to do this and you create some success what the, the the hardest thing then to do is then say i need help and then they don't delegate to anybody else they don't give it to anybody else to say can you do this for me and a lot of successful solopreneurs are successful to a certain level with a certain amount of money, but they run out of time, but then their, their health often goes or they mess up their relationships and don't see their kids and all that sort of side effect of that because they have what I call the spy love me trap. Trap. That's the name of the film. Yeah. And it's nobody does this better than me and they won't delegate. They won't teach other people because they think they're being in more control by doing it themselves. So that's where a lot of solopreneurs get stuck. So this takes us to the fourth level which is what I call a being a business leader. And when you start to create a team. And if you won't create a team, and this is the other important bit, you don't know how to create a team, meaning lead them and manage them, and they're different, by the way. If you can't create a team and let yourself create a team and know how to, and this is the, this is the, the other bit I do with my business, is teaching people how to be leaders and managers. Because if you can't make that shift from solopreneur to being able to lead and manage other people, you can't do the most important thing in a business, which is leverage the time and the skills and experience and energy of people you employ. And the job of a leader and manager is to leverage the skills and time and energy and knowledge of other people. And that is when you, make more money and start to get your time back. That's when you really win. So that's about leverage. That's about leveraging other people. And a lot of solopreneurs get trapped. So good. I think about it too. It's like, um, we, I, I thought you were going to go the route of, you know, you, you don't, you don't know how to be a, a leader in business before you you do it. You got to hire people. You got, you got to just take the leap and you got to, you got to experiment with this and make mistakes and go from there, which I can relate back to. It's like, whenever you've made a mistake in a hiring process, mm -hmm. it comes down to a failure of leveraging their time in the most efficient way, because, yeah. because people know this in their own right. Right. You know, like when somebody, it's always comes down to like, Oh, should we, should we let somebody go? that question is usually typically like the answer is already there. It's because they're already, if they, if you're questioning it and they're questioning it or whatever the case is around the line, typically it's, it's almost the ego, at least the way I say it is usually it's the ego of the person who's making the, the hiring decision for not firing that person sooner because that person's actually not in the place they're supposed to be because they would feel great about their position. You would see great results from their position. Yeah. Or there's a flip side of it where it's like, the reality is the leader is not, um, or because the leader is not taking that that ownership of it or asking that question or really leaning into that, the fact that they're hesitating on it either implies they failed as a leader and they know it, or they don't understand why the person's failing in the first place. Exactly. It comes back to the, they're the wrong person for the position, right? So, so I always say to my clients who are that solo to being a leader, because I, I work with a lot of solopreneurs who need to build a team for the first yeah. time, or... Yeah people still act as solopreneur workers, even though they've got a big team. And see, so these yeah, are the entrepreneurs yeah. that still run around and do seven days a week and do 12 hours a day, even though they've got a team. So they're not leveraging their team. So then 
they get in the way of their team growing. Now, I always say to the, the people who are ready to build a team is, well, think about it this way. If you were to, if you were to wanted to drive a car, before you drive a car, you learn how to drive a car, don't you? Yeah, sure. Why not do the same with managing? Because most people don't know what they don't know. But as soon as you show them, they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I like teaching them before they have to take on their first member of staff, but also that means they think, oh, I never thought about how I need and who I need. I just, most people hire on skills, not attitude, or do you want someone who's boringly consistent to do the stuff that you don't like doing because you're more entrepreneurial and salesy? Or are you a very steady person who likes to be in control, but actually, you know what? You need someone who's going to knock some door downs and go and hit you because a more entrepreneurial person. So before you hire anybody, do you know what you really need who complements you? Not and not just in skill set, but in attitude. But that yeah. makes them very hard to manage because they're so different from you. So if you learn to lead and manage, then you hire, hire the best people and know how to get the best out of them. Also, when you hire the next person, how to make these two people and the three of us together work as a team and then how to build a second team of how that those two different teams work together. Because if you think about it very simply, oh, I, had, I said this to a client. Um, they're just starting on a training program with me on, on learning. And now, this person is a business owner, been for many years, um, but always avoided managing people. Systems, they love managing systems. So they're a systems manager, not a people manager. But... They said, I really need to understand people. So I said, great. This is the program I'm going to put you on. It's all about understanding people, about leading and managing. It's all about how to coach and lead and influence and motivate and actually how to create accountability, the four elements you really need to make it successful. And I said, so I want you to start off with these first few modules. And let's have a chat as soon as possible. He said, oh, I could possibly do it Friday. I said, possibly. I said, yeah, let me get back to you. I said, hang on a second. Now, imagine I am your um, staff member and you pay me, say, 80K a year. And you're saying, I'll, I'll try and get back to you Friday. You've now just stopped me from being able to do my job. Now, as, my manage, as, as his manager who works for him, I've got a team sitting behind me. Someone's on 60,000, someone's on 35,000. And you add up the bill, you not getting back to me with absolutely a definite answer by Friday. You've just taken someone with 400Ks worth of, of salary and you just made that whole team ineffective by that one thing. And he went, wow. Now I said, think about how much money or what process or what customers me and my team work. So this is leverage because it's not that one, he's one decision. It's like there may be several million pounds or dollars worth of function not being done because he would make a decision. So this is what I'm talking about. Now imagine the other way around. Imagine I need to report to a client or report up to his boss and I can't. And now we've got the CEO not being provided for. So this is what I mean by leverage. As a business leader, the fourth position on the Entrepreneur Superhighway, it's not about the work you do. It, your work is now to get the best out of your team.
because your team can multiply the amount of work you do with all their specialities and all their time and all their energy and knowledge while you can be off going doing what you're really best at or disappearing off for a couple of hours to go and think and strategize. Right. Which often it goes down to working on your business versus in your business. Right. Yeah. And and I I always joke, it's like, you don't want Aaron Griffin doing your payroll. It just doesn't make sense. That's what it is. (laughs) I'll take 10 hours to do it when somebody else can probably do it in 20 minutes. Right. But how can you, how can you, but the other thing is how can you get the person doing the payroll to do it better, faster, easier? That's your job. Yeah. Right. How can you get that person to um, take on the fact and perhaps build in a system because you know you're going to be doubling your staff in six months' time? Yeah. So it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not just doing; it's strategy for growth as well. So this this is the difference between leading and managing. So I'm going to ask a question. Sorry, I told you I'd monologue if I got the chance. (laughs) Um, So so we have we're we just went from worker to entrepreneur, to solopreneur, to business leader. And yep. the final is business owner. business owner. Yes. So this is when, as a business owner, you create all the money and you get all of your time back because you can step completely away or as much as possible because you've got business leaders in the company running the business for you. Mm. They don't need you. Mm. So what often happens is people say, how can you know how can you get to biz being a business owner and step out? But they often do it too quick and they miss out on the business leader bit. That they, they sell the aspiration of being the business owner. And then but the, as a business leader, you need to make sure it's set up in the way that you want it run. And then the business owner, you bring people in who'll run it better for you. And mm. if you and so, so solopreneurs would love to be able to be sitting on the beach, having all the money but uh, and, and the time and be spent time with the kids, but they're stuck as a solopreneur. But the way you do it is you, you create a highly functioning team mm. and you can make mm. that final step to being a business owner. This is, this is great. Steve, how did you, um, did you make the shift of working with, you mentioned you work with most people who are solopreneurs or, or in that maybe beta phase of just building out the first ends of their team what did you start with your company now you you said you've been doing this for almost 20 years did you start there or was it a different approach that you went in with how long did it kind of take you to come up with this model that you had uh the model itself is not hard to for me to hard to come up it's just observation but i i I suppose i spent um, and this is when i was getting my own way this is my own business faults and everything else i i i was stuck as a solopreneur for many many years because um i liked um i liked the idea of being the most anonymous expert i could be so i hated promoting myself so i was in a revenue loop problem in my business for many years because a revenue loop is when you have a a conflict in yourself and 40 percent of people right back to what i was talking about people not doing what they should do my big one was i wouldn't let myself promote myself and get famous because when I was five years old, I had a trauma and made me the shyest kid in school who never wanted to speak to anybody and, and, and all the rest of it. So a lot of the stuff that holds us back in business um, comes from our childhood. And all coaches, you know, a lot of coaches, not all, a lot of coaches say, no, we only work on now moving forward. And that's the biggest load of nonsense ever, because the reason we behave the way we are now is because of what's happened in our past. But we don't do therapy because this is business and business people don't want to do therapy 
I'm not talking about long term. It's just like, well, let's change the decision that what's running your life, what's thinking is getting in the way. So that's the first bit I do. And I and I practiced helping people get out of the way for, you know, good 10, 15 years on all sorts of niches, all sorts of problems. Uh, but I always came back to working with in business and entrepreneurs. So I like working with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs starting the first team, but also I love working with entrepreneurial people who have big teams. I do work with people with big teams as well. So how long did it take me? It's an ongoing thing. I'm always trying to improve it. Well, because and the reason I asked is, it, was it was it something that you started with understanding? What, did you come in with the team's perspective immediately, or because we and this may be maybe a good transition point to what we were talking about just yesterday on that call, where where people are just not thinking big enough, right? And there and really it goes down to another portion we want to get into, which you you just brought up, which how great we all are getting in our own way, and yeah. and what I wanted to kind of maybe lead into this would be. How often are we getting in our own way simply by viewing uh, viewing something as hard or challenging or or uh, impossible before we even set out to even gather any intelligence as to whether or not that's true? How often are self-limiting beliefs kind of coming in and just being like, you know, limiting where you're at in the day to day? How do you guard against that? And that's a really broad question. I, I think it really, uh, well, you, know, you know where I'm going with this, though. So, yeah, you, yeah. okay. So what I want, what the first thing I want to say is I, I want I want people to stop using the term limiting belief. Okay, I want people just to scrub that. And the reason for that is I learned all that years, twenty plus years ago, and, and taught it and used it. But actually, if you think about it, every belief is limiting. It's meant to be limiting because what you're doing by having a belief, you're limiting not having other beliefs, which allows you to make decisions. So the only thing I work on is people's decisions, why they made a decision. So every belief is limiting and it's meant to be. It's designed to be. That's the purpose of a belief. So when people say I've got negative emotions and I've got limiting beliefs, both of those are wrong. Okay. And actually get in the way because people think they have to get rid of negative emotions and limiting beliefs. How many times have you heard those two phrases? Yeah. Okay. There's no such. So limiting beliefs, all beliefs are limiting. Okay. But is the belief that you've chosen working for you? Yes or no. Okay. So we naturally default to don't mess up. Okay. Whether you believe in evolution or you believe in creation, doesn't matter. It comes down to the human brain doesn't want you to mess up. Mess up means trouble, death, you know, not being with the group. It means you are going to be physically in trouble. This is this is our biology. Yeah. We're communal creatures. We want to be in the group. This is why being rejected by people when we public speak is so scary for most people, because we don't want to be rejected. Now, this is this is in our biology. So our natural default, 10 percent, the first 10 percent of our thinking this is the way I think about it is just protect yourself from danger and this is the fight or flight everyone talks about fight or flight oh it's the fight or flight and then they don't know what to do with it after that our, our brain says just don't die now in modern day apart from covid this when we're making business decisions it's highly unlikely that someone with a spear is going to try and kill us because of our business decisions but our brain says 
yeah, but what if we mess up? What happens if we lose our home? What happens if we can't, you know, feed our kids? So it defaults into the system we have that's trying to keep us alive and keep us safe. But that's 10% of our thinking. The next 70% of our thinking is usually around solve problems. You've got loads of problems to solve. You know, have I got money? Have I got, have I got uh, petrol in the car? Have I got um, clean underwear? Have I got, and then we have higher, higher, higher level problems. And the better problems we can solve, the better our life gets. And the top 20% is then when we go, wow, everything's going all right. Everything's under control. You have a level of certainty about life. And certainty is the first emotion human beings really seek. It's not joy or happiness or love. It's do I have certainty that everything's going to be okay? If I make this decision to invest in this program or to buy this company or whatever, pull out, pull out on a junction, is everything going to be okay? And the reason we want certainty is certainty is the feeling you have when you know everything's going to be okay, you can handle the situation, you're in control, you don't have fear. So our brain gives us fear. Back to this is answering your question. We want to make sure that we don't mess up. So what happens is we have to have fear of what we're going to mess up on or possible mess up on. Then we've got to say, no, it's okay. Now, most of our thinking is about not messing up. When we've done that not messing up, we've got money in the bank, customers are happy, kids, family, everything's okay. Then we go, let's go and have some fun. And the top 20% is the fun stuff. So when the gurus say, what's your why? What's the big goal? What's the thing you want to achieve? What's the big car, the whatever else? If you're in survival mode, that 10%, or you're in, you know, in lower level problem solving, your brain can't engage with that because it's so far away from survival. You're, you can't engage with the goals you think you should have. So therefore we don't have motivation. What we have is motivation to not mess up. So therefore having loads of goals and having affirmations to say, you are brilliant, you're amazing, you can do this, you can do that. If your brain is in survival mode, and this is what makes 40% of people stuck when they've got a process in their brain that has been accidentally triggered, which is I had at the age of five, been shouted at by a teacher for something I didn't do. I went into massive panic attack and then my brain shut down and said for the next 10 years, don't ever speak up in public, don't ever stand out in public, don't ever look where I can get shouted at. And it happened in an instant. And 40% of people, including entrepreneurs, have got that entrepreneurial spirit that says, let's move forward, let's, let's go for it. But then they've got another part of their brain going, that's too dangerous. You can't charge that amount of money. You can't start that business. You can't promote on Facebook. You, you can't go for that level of client that you know you're capable of and or any other thing, yeah? So you've got an argument in your head that says, yeah, I can do this. I believe in myself. And the other part of the brain says, no, no, too risky. And because and this is what I call a sabotage loop, because this is fear-based and it's tapped into the survival mechanism, the fight and flight mechanism, it generally wins. So this is why sometimes you go, let's do it. And you do it for a little bit. And then you go, no, can't, don't. Load loads of anxiety. And then you, you get frustrated with it, angry with yourself. 
because you know you could be doing something better. And this person said, no, but that's too risky. And then people call it procrastination. It's not procrastination. It's a survival mechanism. So answering your question is people hold themselves back to where they're most certain. So the solopreneur says, I've been successful to this level. I earn this amount of money. I know I don't see my kids much, but I don't want to start building a team because I don't know how to do it. I don't want to let go. I'm not sure I can trust anybody. I have to spend more money on a team before more money comes into my business. Let's stay as I am. It's a level of certainty. If you um, want to move from worker and start your first business, but you won't let yourself, you're highly talented. Everyone knows you're brilliant. Everyone says you should start a business. And they go, oh, I can't because what happens if it fails? Having the, is it going to fail is a good thing. But if you, if you know you could, but you really won't let yourself, you have this sabotage loop. So it, it happens to anybody. It doesn't matter how, you know, we, we have this inbuilt system to try and look after ourselves. And it gets in our way accidentally in a lot of occasions. So does that answer your question? This is just a snapshot of real, real mindset stuff. That's really good. That's really good, Stephen. That's great because it, it, it brings a, you just brought layers and levels into, you know, it's, I think it's kind of the reason why like um, I could turn on like Jim Rohn <laughs> and it always hits because it's yeah. so foundational and it gets down to the, it's so, um, for Jim's obviously a very legendary uh, motivational speaker yeah. amongst other things, but it, it takes me back to that immediate thing where it's like um, we get so caught up in, and, and honestly, I, I love your thoughts on this. We get so caught up in the mindset portions of this where the reality is it's the doing. I think of it like the, what is the, oh geez, you know, learn, do, teach. Mm -hmm. Keep running through that. Don't forget, you know, you don't have to be the expert to teach. Teach it to somebody, you teach it to yourself. You can record it, you know, whatever the case is. Yeah. Through that process is how you're going to be able to build something, build more, build more authority on it. Authority with your with yourself. Feel more confident with the things that you're going to be able to do because the results are going to change. You're going to learn them better. You're going to get better instincts from it. But I think back to what you just said, it, it kind of ties into the whole, people are hearing repeatedly that they have a broken mindset and that they have to fix the mindset or whatever the case would be. And, yeah. and, it, and it plays into the fact that, and I, we, could, we could do the numbers. I talk about it in, in the book I'll be putting out soon. It's like, you know, abysmal numbers in terms of, you know, 10% of Americans for the most part, 10% uh, of Americans actually have a savings account above $10,000, right? And we could go down the line in terms of the, the, yeah. the struggles of the majority of people. Mm -hmm. And it's a very easy talking point to say it's because of a mindset problem, right? Yeah. I'm going to dive in, right? When I say to my clients, you're not broken, you just have a contradictory process of thinking that gets in the way. So you put your foot on the gas pedal and one foot's on the brake. Yeah. So I, I you know, what is mindset? I almost, I hate that word because it's so there. What does it mean? I, 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 I look at it in a very simple way. What is the process that you use to make that decision when the real you, as I call it, says, I can do this, let's move forward. Because the real you does want to make a mistake. The real you doesn't want to blow up your business. It, the real you is fully capable of making a good decision. I think I can do this. There's some pitfalls here. I need to get some advice. I don't know how to do this, but I know who I can ask. That's the real you creating plans. 
it's this other part of your brain that gets accidentally turned up too much. And all it is is a process that says, I'm going to save you from making a big mistake. And here's the important thing. When you go through the process it's trying to do, it's always to try and help you. Okay? I guarantee this 100% of the time, every single person I work with, the first thing I do in the first two hours is, you've got this huge procrastination, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, fear, anxiety, whatever issue. When you find out, it's always to help them be happy and successful. Okay? But it never works. That's why I call it emotional logic. And that's emotional logic creates a sabotage loop. And that's a huge training in itself. But it's trying to help you by not messing up. So therefore, once you've not messed up, everything's going to be okay. But what it does is it says you can't do anything. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do what? And that's why if you've got an argument saying, I can do this, but you won't let yourself. I can do this, but I won't let myself. And people say, it's like the angel and the devil on my shoulder. One saying you can, the other says, no, you can't. So if you've got that conflict in your head, that holds people back more than lack of skills by a long way. It stops people putting their prices up. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I think we were on a call yesterday and I had the same example. One of my clients, I started working with him about 16 weeks ago. He was targeting £2,000 deals for each of his clients. Within three weeks, he'd put his prices up to 25000 to 50000 to 100000 He's just signed a 160-something thousand pound deal. And it's not because, and this is back to the broken mindset. You've got a broken mindset. Yeah, he hadn't. What he had was he had a brain that says, I am this good. I can do this. And there's another part of his brain said, no, you can't. Who are you to earn money? And the last time you had money, you lost it all. I'm going to protect you from losing money. I'm going to protect you from criticism of other people if you get too rich. Because you come from a background from the wrong side of the tracks where, you know, people like us don't have money. So he had reasons that stopped him. So it wasn't that he couldn't earn this sort of money. It's just he wouldn't let himself because of the, the fears he had about earning that. And as soon as he turned that thinking off, and this is not, it's not fixing a broken mindset. It's just turning off the wrong system. Simple as that. You just turn it off. And, and people say, oh, it's hard. It's difficult. You've got to go through huge, great emotional meditation practices. You've got to have these cathartic experiences. It's not. Most people, when, in my clients, when I know they've, they're doing it, they just usually shrug their shoulders and go, well, that was stupid, wasn't it? That doesn't work. And, one, and I call it an oops moment. It's the first time they ever realize why they've been putting the brakes on themselves. And they just they say, oh, that's a bit dumb. Or one of my clients said, oops, it's a mistake. Is your brain trying to help you but making a mistake? So all you do is turn it off. Choose not to use it. And then he said, went back to his company and he said, right, we're now targeting big companies. And he's got this contract has just come through and he's got six, seven, eight other ones of a similar size. And this is all within 16 weeks. So he had no broken mindset. He was just trying to protect himself by undervaluing himself and underneathing himself. He was always capable of doing it. He just didn't let himself. Got hundreds of those stories, hundreds. We got some sirens in the background. I don't know if it'll pick up, but I, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I, that's a writer downer. 
in terms of what, what really, though, the, Stephen, what you just hit on is like how many people hold themselves in. We're, we're talking a lot heavy on um, people of client-based businesses. We're talking about entrepreneurs in this interview, but this is this is anybody, right? In terms of yeah. what you just said there is like, they, they you hold yourself down to something because it's actually deemed as safer because- yeah. Oh, it's the illusion crazy. of safety. And this is when we get to negative emotions. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. What, is the, what is the purpose of fear? Why do we all have fear? Apart from a few people you don't want to spend time with because they really are not good people to be around. Why do we have fear? To keep us alive. Nope. No? Okay. Nope. Um, you want me to take more cracks at it? To keep yeah. Us alive oh, the, the, one, to... the one that most people say is like you just said, is it, the, the most common thing is to keep us safe or, or protection. Yeah, okay. 95% of people believe that fear is for protection, right? Mm. So here's, here's my oh, favorite. Oh, 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 is it? But is it actually, is it actually to, is it to hide yourself from making a, from making a change? Is it, is it to prevent, is it to, is it like a self, do we deploy fear to avoid having to remove ourselves from the situation as opposed to like taking a path that we could do? Maybe. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Think about uh, uh, yeah. Think about saying it. no, Stephen. You're not saying no. We're going to roll. Okay. So let, let me, let me explain something. What is what is fear? It's a chemical and emotional electrical response inside your body, yeah, created by you, yeah. It's not a behavior. Protection is a behavior. To protect yourself, you've actually got to do, go through a whole sequence. And the, the basic sequence is, if I was protecting myself from being hit by a car, it's I've got to know my own value, my perception of myself. I've got to observe a situation. I've got to know that's dangerous. I've got to look around and see it. And if something I think is dangerous, like I'm crossing a road and there's a car coming, my brain then says, Stephen, have a load of fear or a tiny bit of fear or a huge amount of fear, because it says you're important. There's a car. It's going to hit you. It may kill you. Pay attention. So what is what is fear for? It's to say there's potential danger there. So what people do is they use emotions and there's three that get in the way anger, sadness, and fear. They're the three that cause the problems and they use them inappropriately to try and help us protect us. So fear is the big one. I cannot, I cannot start my business. I cannot put my prices up because I might lose customers. I can't tell my customer they're wrong because they may not like me. And so what we do is we use fear as protection, but actually it's a whole sequence of there's a car. What am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to jump out the way i'm going to run across the road i'm going to do a superman and stop it with my hands what's the best process so there's a whole process but emotions are internal so they can't protect you because it's just a bunch of chemistry so is fear bad for you is it a negative emotion no because without fear that you wouldn't be able to run the process of not getting run down so you can get across the road and go to the shop and get you what you want to buy so ultimately it's self-awareness right that's ultimately yeah. it brings an awareness into it right all your emotions are for and people spend so much time trying to be in control of their emotions i'm going to prove this to you in a moment okay they spend all their time trying to learn how to be in charge of their emotions and control their emotions i'm going to show you how to do it in an instant you do not need to control your emotions you need to understand why you chose to create those emotions within you okay so if you're overly fearing something you're choosing to create fear because you feel the fear. You think it's real. The problem is real. And then your brain says, I'm going to protect you from this. And so I'm not going to take any action. Okay, nothing, nothing bad happened, except you never actually did anything. You, you failed by trying not to fail. So fear 
sadness, joy, uh, pleasure, excitement. All that is, is a language. Emotions are your first language that your body ever had before you learned English, Spanish, French, to tell you what you're thinking at an unconscious level. Hey, pay attention, Aaron. You're thinking about that lovely person over there or that dangerous thing, or should I sign that and spend that money? So people use them badly. They get in the way. Their overprotective system comes in, gives you loads of fear and says, don't sign on that dotted line. Don't employ that person. Don't put your prices up. Don't go on Facebook and tell people how good you are. I'm going to show you how fast you can, you can be in control of your emotions, how fast your emotions change and how. So because all you got to ask yourself is, why is that very gorgeous naked woman standing behind you? I don't know why she's there, but she's hot, Aaron. Now, <laughs> you wanted to turn around and have a look, didn't you? Now you're laughing. You're smiling. You've gone slightly red. Yeah. How quickly did that happen? Very quickly. <laughs> and, and you consciously know that there's no woman behind you. But you just checked. You, you just, your, your head flipped over to check. That's how, fast, that's how fast your unconscious mind works, okay? But as I'm explaining this now, your face has changed. People may not see this on the podcast, but you're now in thinking mode with your hand up on your face. Your emotions about that woman have gone. How quickly did those emotions disappear? Because you just turned them off. You didn't need them anymore. So to spend all this crazy amount of time people spend learning how to be in control of your emotions, you know, it's just like, think about something else. The moment you think about something else, your emotions change. What's your, what's your favorite sports team? Uh, my Detroit football Lions, right? Okay. Okay. So you're smiling again. Now, how are they doing at the moment? They're doing well, they're doing badly. Uh, the answer has been the same for 50 years. It's okay. a tough time. Okay, tough time. but you're now thinking about 50 years, tough times, and your emotions are changing as you think about the losses they've had. How quickly? Yeah? But quick. <laughs> yeah? Instant. But the moment we start talking about something else, about where do you want to go with your business, are you, a, are you someone who's really good at building a team and running a team? Are you an expert in leadership management? How quickly has your emotions changed? Just ask another question. So we don't need to spend time getting rid of emotions and limiting decisions because they're just they're concepts, they're ideas. And so this is what you can tell I get really passionate because people spend more time talking about changing their mindset when all they need to do is change their thinking. You want to earn more money, change your thinking. Are we hard out at the top of the Yeah, hour? I'm cool. I, I, I'm, I'm good. Sweet. I've got a call at the quarter hour, but we're, we're good to go. I want to ask you about out of the box. I would assume it probably is going to line into this. You hate the term, not hate, hate might be strong word. You don't like the word or term out of the box, out right. of the box, okay. thinking, out of the box, pulling it together. So, let, let, so this is, this is about uh, whenever I work with really successful entrepreneurs, I love working with them because I learn a lot because I learn how they think. Now they're stuck in something. They need my help in my expertise, but I look at them and go, what are you really good, good at doing? And entrepreneurs like you, are you good at um, thinking differently? Are you good at thinking, you know, about there's a problem and, that, you know, what, what goal can I create? Are you good at innovating? Are you good at creating? Are you good at thinking outside of the triangle? Can be. Can be. Sometimes. Sure. So when I said triangle, I paused enough time. And you, what's the word you put in? box because okay. in the late 60s someone invented this concept and 
50 years later, everyone says, I'm a great out-of-the-box thinker. But guess what? You're in the out-of-the-box box. So the really best entrepreneurs, this is what I call solution thinking, yeah? There's three levels of problem solving, by the way. I'm going to divert. I'm going to give some stuff to people, yeah? Yeah, I don't think you've heard this stuff from me before, have you? Okay. So no, the first... but, and also, I should just, Stephen, this has been fantastic. This is really good. So I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's hit on this three, right. three levels of problems. Okay. Yeah. This is for entrepreneurs out there. Whether you're, whether you're creating a, a new product or system or process or company, or you're doing, you're, you want your team to, to help you with this. The first level of problem solving, remember I said most of our life is about solving problems. And this is why as an entrepreneur, you can say to someone, I can solve that problem, they'll give you money, okay? The first level is what I call the oh crap level. And that's when a problem comes across your desk and you just go, oh crap. And everyone does that. Anybody who says, oh, I love problems, uh, run away, the BSing, okay? We just go, oh, I'm busy, I've got this, i got, you know. Oh. Now, you'll have people who just want to avoid that problem, give it to somebody else. If you're employing people like that, you're paying them money to shirk responsibility and accountability, okay? And a lot of people hate accountability. As I said, it's one of the four things to get the best out of people is accountability. The second level of problem solving is, okay, how do we solve that problem? So that's when we go, oh, right, how do we deal with this? Now, the thing about solving a problem is, once you've solved the problem, what you've done is just resolve the problem. And it's taken time, effort, energy, money, whatever else to solve the problem. What you've done is you've just, you know, fixed the, fixed the leaky pipe. Entrepreneurs grow their business and their product line because they say, here's a problem. How can we make it an opportunity? How can we make something? <clears throat> so that is when they say, our competitor has got its really good business and that's a problem. How can we outdo or do something different or go around from our competitor and be different? And that takes a lot of creative thinking. Hence why I said innovators. Who's the innovator in your company? And if you're so busy working in your company as a solopreneur, trying to be in control of everything, burning all the hours, and the last thing you've got is time to walk away, get into a huddle with somebody and just kick some ideas around. And that's, this is what I'm good at with people because I'll ask questions that they don't think about because they're in the weeds. And if you haven't got time to actually think creatively, you never can go forward. So this is two forms of motivation to motivate people, carrot and the stick, yeah, pain or pleasure. Most of the time we cycle around pain, pain, pain resolution, pain resolution, pain resolution, problem solve, problem solve. If you can be really good at solving problems, you'll do well. If you can create opportunities from the problems that you're encountering, means you solve better problems or and or you help people hit goals if you can do that that's when the real money is so the guy i was talking about he knew he was under pricing himself but he actually said to me um to yesterday he said if you told me that i could be charging more than a hundred thousand pounds for my clients last year i would have laughed at you but when he got so frustrated with something in his business, he said, Stephen, I finally need your help. And then within 
less than four months, he's earning multiple six-figure numbers coming in. It's because he had always could have done it, but he just never let himself. So he was just going doing small problems. So can you as an entrepreneur get out of the way of doing the work so you have time to think about better solutions? And this is, again, solopreneur to business leader. Can you leverage your team to create better solutions? Most people spend their life trying to avoid failure, pain, criticism. We learn it at school. You got a spelling test when you were, uh, you know, seven years old. You got eight out of 10 and your parents said, what happened to the other two? You got them right last night. So you feel down, you've let your parents down, you don't want to take risks. You work really hard. I've got to put more hours in to learn how to spell. And then you're in that cycle of don't fail, don't fail, don't fail. So as an entrepreneur, You've got to make sure you don't fail, but you should be spending more time on going, how can I do something that somebody else is not doing? And that's creativity. This is uh, this has been such a great this has been such a great hour. I appreciate your time like crazy and volunteering with us here um, just to come on, and especially on a Saturday. I think I speak for the whole audience that this has been this has been really great. Um, We've hit on a few different things. You mentioned a couple times, um, um, just to just to wrap down with a couple questions here. You mentioned uh, accountability a couple times as it factors into the four things. What were those four things you were you were, you were speaking of earlier? Kind of a, I, and I hate to hit you with these tactical questions, Steve. But no, I'm no, no but, curious. but what were they? Yeah, I like. Yeah. Ultimately, the purpose of mindset is to make better decisions so you can take better actions so you can get better results. Studying mindset on its own is, is like contemplating navel. It's pointless. But the danger is you, if you think you're working, when I hear people say, I'm working on my mindset, it's like, have you made a different decision than the one you know you should be? If you are, then you're going to be doing different behavior, then you're going to get a different result. Because the tactical whole point is, if you haven't got accountability on tactics and a result, what you've got is a whole load of mental busyness or physical business doing stuff which never gets the result so the four things are you if you're a business leader you're either leading yourself as a solo entrepreneur if you're going through that phase but essentially learn how to understand number one people yeah not psychometrics please don't do psychometrics all very interesting, but it's about practical stuff here and now. Conversations. Why do they make that decision? How how exactly you mean by psychometrics? You talk about like uh, personality tests, personality like profiles. Yeah, great. But most of the time, when I spoke with people, ninety percent of the people who have had a psychometric or they employ them in their company, they don't know how to use them afterwards. Meaning, you've got a big report. You're a blue. You're a yellow. You're an I. You're a label. You're whatever. And they go, so what? I don't know what to do with it. So where is the accountability in the ROI, okay? So when you understand people on a practical level, you have a conversation with them, you can understand why they made that decision. You can challenge them on that making that decision. They make a different decision. They do a different behavior, get a different result. So understanding people, whether it's your customers or your team or your business partners or your spouse or your kids is the most important thing. But a practical level, not labels, not um you know motivational bs it's 
understanding why they made that decision. That's the most practical thing you can learn. Second thing is, if you want to leverage people, number two, understand leadership and management on a practical level. So put the two together because every process in a business, no matter how technology driven your business is, is a person attached to it somewhere. It's either someone who designed it, someone who's using it, someone who's testing it, someone, or, or even clients at the end, people. So can you lead people to their maximum effect? Can you manage people to their maximum effect? That also includes you. The third one then is if you understand people and you understand how to lead and manage, it's then how to coach, influence, motivate, lead, influence. So this is the ability to practically take this internal knowledge about how people think and leadership and management and apply it in the real world. Not I'm a coach. It's like, how do I get my team to change their thinking to up their game? How do I get someone to do something they don't want to do? How do I... Yeah. So that's well, the, and it's kind of like, sorry, just to put it, it's kind of like, have oh. you read the coaching habit, the book, the coaching habit by, um, um, I'm trying oh. to remember the author, Michael, Michael Gerber or something along those lines. Um, it's a great book. People will tell you to read it if you want to become a, become a coach. But yeah. the irony is you, you, you open the first page and the guy says, this is not going to show you how to be a coach. It's actually, it's, it's a leadership and management book. It's actually about scaling teams. It's about getting yeah, exactly. into the, it's getting the best out of your people. What's the yeah. phrase you used for it? You said for three, you said, so we have people, leadership of the management and three. And then it, basically how to communicate, yeah, how to influence, communicate, motivate, problem solve, negotiate. It's how to turn that knowledge into something practical. Cause if you learn about how to understand people and you learn that leadership and management, but you don't put it into the real world with some skills about how to apply it, it's academic. It's a waste of time. There's yeah. no result. Yeah. So when I'm working with, with the people I'm working with, the first two bits gives them the information. The third bit turns it into money. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the fourth bit is the accountability. And most people don't want to be held accountable because they don't want to be criticized. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to fail. But have an accountability system it can be very, very simple, but it's an accountability system where people know what they're doing, when, by, why, and the consequences, both good and bad, of not doing it or of doing it. And people miss out the accountability system way too much because they feel uncomfortable holding other people to account <laughs> and, and various other reasons. So they're the four key parts of being an effective leader and manager of any business. Yeah. Now, really good. How many, people, how many people study those things compared to the expertise that they started the business with? They spend years learning how to be good at something. <laughs> mm. And then they're now, their job is when they've got 10 people, 1,500 people, is a completely different job than they started with, and they've got no training. Mm. So I like filling that gap. Get them out of their own way. Stop them sabotaging themselves. Next thing is, how can we make you the best leader or manager or both? And how can we do that with your teams? So it's creating leverage all the way through the system. I got one more question I'd like, I'd like to sure. close with, but, but real quickly, uh, just to carry from there, if somebody is listening to this, they want to contact Stephen about um, even just to pick your brain, see what's going on, see how you could work together, how you could serve them, or even just get into your ecosystem. I know you've got a group that you run. Can you give us a little bit of your social medias, how people can get in contact with you into the future? 
Best thing to do, um, Stephen with a PH at certainchange.co.uk, email me or find me on Facebook. Find me on certainchange.co.uk. That's where you'll yep. find me. So, um, yeah, get in contact. Uh, I'm terrible at social media. I hate it, to be honest. One of those, that's I mean, if I had another hour, I'll tell you about my Achilles heel about so about being famous and social media. Does, does most of your client base come from probably not them from social media, then I would assume, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, does. Some, some does, yeah, yeah. But if you want to get me directly, just email me or find me and phone me. Cool, 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 because I like that. We'll, we'll, we'll open a can of worms on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll that's it. That's another one. And, I, and that's when I have to get honest about my my errors and mistakes in business. Oh, yeah. that's good. Hey, um, okay. So so we're just just to close things up here. I'm, I um I, I want to ask you. I guess for you, like, what's the most what's the most powerful question that maybe you'll ask team members or ask leaders? What, what do you find yourself leaning into the most when you're when you're when you're digging on somebody to to, to help them overcome? Oh, that's great. Stuck in the problem. It's a great question. There's only, there's only one question you need to know to understand people. You need the framework around it. There's mm -hmm. one question. What is the benefit? What is the benefit of doing that? Including what is the benefit of sabotaging? What is the benefit of undercharging? What, that's the weird stuff. That's when it gets a bit confusing because it yeah. makes no sense. But when you start asking the benefit of what, what's the benefit of you not growing your team what's the benefit of you not learning how to be an amazing manager or leader what's the benefit of not putting your prices up or what's the benefit of not going on social media which is my one yeah mm. that was, yeah mm. when you understand the benefit of the behaviors that you that get in the way that's how you get released this is this is this is what you do that's how you solve it very fast mm. Mm. Steve, I could keep going on for 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 a while. I want. I would love to have you back on at some point too. We could hash this out problem, more. Yeah. I know. Um, I can already tell the audience is going to absolutely love this one. So, uh, Stephen at CertainChange.co.uk. Uh, Got it. Cool. Appreciate you coming in here on a Saturday. And and I know nah, several pleasure. times, but seriously, really appreciate you taking the time. This is such a good conversation, especially for me with uh, um, just the the day. It's been a it's been a crazy day already, and to come in here, great. Great insight. So many awesome things. Appreciate you all for making it this long on our interview uh, with Stephen. Go ahead, check out the show notes. Let's make sure that we get uh, a follow-up with Stephen either on his social media or uh, reaching out to him directly. And uh, let us know if you'd like to see him back on the show by leaving us a review. We do this for free. That's part of our game. We like to have fun. Uh, appreciate you guys for coming into the Get After podcast. Appreciate your time, Stephen. And until next time, uh, I'm Aaron Griffin. Stoked to have you all on. Stephen, again, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Yo, yo, you made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. I really hope this was, um, I hope this was a fun one for you. We love uh, these interviews. So if this was something that was profound, it hit you hard, share this with a friend. We don't monetize the podcast in any way, shape, or form. This is uh, strictly for personal development and growth. And frankly, it's a passion project of my own. So um, I really appreciate you all for not only taking the time to, to listen, but uh, in helping build this show. Uh, if it impacted you, the best way that you can help us and you can expand the Get After message is to share this with someone who needs it, uh, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and to just, again, like share the word, like share this with your friends, share this with people who uh, could be impacted by this. And special, special thanks to our guest today. And with all that being said, 
I really hope this episode and the daily ones as well are helping you get after it in your life, work, business, whatever it is that you're rolling with. Let's roll. Let's get after it. Make it a great one. Talk soon.